the Adam West Batman doesn't get intimidation. Yeah, no. <laughs> and the Michael Keaton one doesn't really either. No, you know who does is George Clooney. Because the, the, the nipple <laughs> the armor. Nipple <laughs> no one wants to mess with that guy. <laughs> from Undangerous's Day Off in New York City. I'm your host, Shane. And I'm your host, Ishan. And welcome to episode 82 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In this episode, we're talking about the worst kind of players, absent ones. But first, the prologue comes to an explosive conclusion in the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign. And later, the Batman disappears into the shadows in the Character Creation Forge. So just another reminder, we have our t-shirts for sale on TeePublic in a variety of sizes and colors and cuts and fits and also other merch. They're pretty sweet. It's just the logo. Buy some for your mom. Yeah. All right. So a couple weeks ago, we got another Unearthed Arcana, this time the Sorcerer. This is the one that I personally have been waiting for the longest because Sorcerer has been my favorite class in 5th edition since we got a PHP. Since 3rd edition. (laughs) This one had four new archetypes for the Sorcerer. People love Sorcerers. Apparently. Uh, So we got the Favored Soul, the Phoenix Sorcery, Sea Sorcery, and Stone Sorcery. And if those last couple names seem uninspired, (laughs) it's because they are. All right, we've actually seen a favored soul before. That was a cleric wizard? Basically like a sorcerer take on the cleric, which I didn't love. Now, okay, I have talked before. I like Asimars. I like Celestials, Half Celestials. I like favored souls. I love the idea of it. This one's kind of dull. This is really, really bad. I, I mean, I don't have a whole lot for the history of the favored soul, so I don't know if this is like way better in line with what the favored soul has been in previous editions. But it's basically you get the sorcerer and the cleric spell list, and then some dumb defense abilities, and that's it. Like, what? What is this class? It's just two spell lists. That's your class. Go right. I mean, I like favored by the gods at first level. If you fail a saving throw or miss an attack, you roll 2d4 and add it to the total. And that's once per short or long rest. Not so bad. It's, uh, I think, maybe even better than the Hobgoblin racial ability. Oh, it's also, it's just better than the Wild Magic Sorcerer's comparable ability too, right? Uh, My biggest problem with the Favorite Soul is the 6th level feature, Blessed Countenance you get prettier or more imposing or you look younger or whatever. In any case, you get expertise on all charisma checks. Now, there are four charisma skills, at least that are called out, and that's four expertises. If Even if you say, okay, performance is garbage. I do say performance is garbage. Fine, that's still three. Okay. For one feature. Yeah, no, no, no that is way too much. And also, um, can you explain to me why being beautiful, youthful, kind, or imposing suddenly makes you better at intimidation, deception, and persuasion, as though you are so much more skilled than somebody who's been trained in that their entire life. Look, beautiful, I can see for persuasion. Imposing, for intimidate. Uh, is youthful deception, is that what they're trying to say? And is kind performance, or is that the other way around? I, I don't really know. Uh, it, it makes no sense to me. I agree. I don't, yeah, I don't know. I, that's that's just garbage, is what that is. Throw this feature out. Then at level 14, you gain immunity to disease, poison damage, and the poison condition. Yeah. Uh, fine, whatever. Yeah, but at level 14. It's lousy at 14. Yeah. <laughs> and, wah, then, wah. and then at 18, you get unearthly recovery. Uh, you gain, as a bonus action... When you have less than half of your hit points remaining, you regain a number of hit points equal to half your maximum. Okay, first off, it should be uh, fewer than half your hit points. Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> never mind the writing. It's a it's a once per long rest, supercharged second wind. That you've really got to wait to use. So, like, really, at 18? Like, what do the other sorcerers get? Uh, yeah, I know. Uh, a fly speed for your entire party? Of freaking wings? Uh, that's at 14. You get Draconic Presence at 18. Oh, that, well, that oh, one's right, actually right. kind of crappy. Immune to disease, poison, and damage, and like the Dragon Source gets wings. Yeah. 
Yeah, I don't know. I mean, this is actually a good ability, right? I mean, it gives you an extra, effectively, 50% of your hit points. Yeah, but level 18, like, you shouldn't be dropping anyway. Fair, yeah. And you're a cleric, so you've got plenty of healing available to you if you need it. Uh, Traditional healing. So, and this is the other thing. I know people are concerned that having access to both spell lists makes you too powerful because of the combinations that you can pull. I'm actually, I think it makes you pretty weak because you're just diluting the abilities that you have with your very limited spells known. So it's tough to, like, you're you're going all in on one combo if you're going to try and pull it off, basically. Yeah. Uh, there are several times when we've used, like, the Bard's Magical Secrets to good effect, but that's any spell list, right? This is just cleric. Yeah, and I mean, if you're worried about being, you know, a ninth level caster with Wish and True Resurrection, like... I mean, yes, sure, that is on its face very, very powerful, but also probably never going to matter that much in your game any more than just Wish would. Yeah, <laughs> Wish is breaking things anyways. Yeah. Who cares? Uh, yeah, Cleric doesn't really add huge offensive capabilities, right? Oh, you get some healing. Neat. Well, you get to, like, Twin Harm, you know, some of those spells. Yeah. And Quicken spell, you yeah. know. Yeah. But, I, I mean, whatever. Harm's annoying because they it can't drop them. Right. Yeah. I just think there's so many limitations on spells as it is between concentration and action economy and everything else. I just, I, I don't think blending the spell list is going to be that big of a boon for the class. Mm-hmm. And then it has some absolutely uninspired abilities to accompany it. Yeah. It does make me think, um, what would happen if you just got rid of spell lists? What if just everything was the same spell list? Uh, I mean, our character creation forge would be a whole lot more vanilla (laughs) we'd stop having to justify odd dips (laughs) Uh, but at the same time like i don't think it would break anything game wise Uh, well not if you're limited by spells known right right i mean the thing is that the cleric knows every spell and can prepare any of them and that's what gives the cleric its strength is that that in the druid you need to figure something out about that right right so i don't know i this is I, I just don't understand why this is such a defensively oriented archetype, given that it's the favored soul. Yeah, neither do I. Like Traditionally, the favored soul was the sorcerer casting, like the spontaneous casting version of the cleric, which was basically like okay, you had deeper spell slots. It was more offensively based. You got martial weapons. You got wings. Like The whole point was like you were the chosen champion who like showed up on the battlefield and just started like wiping the floor with like the enemies of your god yeah and then like calling down flame strike (laughs) well this one's ready to wade into close combat and take a bunch of damage yeah (laughs) hit me all right so from an archetype we hate to an archetype that's pretty cool the phoenix sorcerer Uh, it's cool but also i think it's terrible yeah it's it okay let's get into it obviously right. it's a phoenix so it's rather fire themed i like that they call out that you don't get resistance to fire because that's not what phoenixes do they burn themselves to ash right yeah. so at level one well actually before that you get a quirk to your phoenix soul uh so these are things that have to do with just you know fire being around you and having just small effects on your life so you might you know, just casually start fires, like flicking a lighter as a as a nervous tick. Right. They do call out, it quickly sputters out. Right. Uh, you admire it, even if it burns your friends. <laughs> you, uh, you like your food charred. Yeah, I love that one. <laughs> or just nothing to do with fire. You are brave to the point of recklessness. Right, that's a yeah. fiery soul. <laughs> <laughs> At first level, you get a cool ability. You can start fires with your hands. Like, just ignite it. A flammable object that you touch. A torch, a piece of tinder. I love this. Hem of the drapes. Yeah, I <laughs> sure. Great. Uh, then you get also Mantle of Flame. And this is sort of your core ability. Uh, as a bonus action, you uh, wreath yourself in swirling fire. And for a minute, you gain uh, a radius of bright light that you shed for 30 feet. And then dim light for an additional 30. So basically, you become a walking torch. You and then any creature takes fire damage equal to your charisma modifier that hits you uh, with an attack within five feet or if it touches you. And then whenever you roll fire damage on your turn, you add your charisma modifier. Okay, that's neat. It's the same issue that we had with the Asamar, which is it lasts for a minute and you can only use it once per day. 
Although you can actually invoke it as a bonus action, so it is much better. Yeah. Probably my second biggest problem with this entire subclass is that so many things depend on your mantle of fire. As we'll see, like many things call out when you are under the effect of your mantle of fire, then this happens. But still once one minute per day. Like this is a one minute workday subclass. Uh yeah. Yeah, yeah. So at level six, you get Phoenix Spark, which is the coolest ability in here, though problematic, almost certainly. Yeah. So if you're reduced to zero hit points, you can use your reaction to instead be reduced to one hit point, and then each creature within 10 feet of you takes fire damage. Uh, it's half your sorcerer level plus your charisma. Uh, each creature. Uh, so that includes allies. Mm-hmm. So that's bad. That's a that's a little, little bad. Uh, if you're using your Mantle of Flame when you use the phoenix spark so if you're in that one minute per day it instead deals your sorcerer level and double your charisma modifier uh and immediately ends your mantle of flame so it consumes your mantle of flame for a bigger explosion which is you know probably going to be on the order of uh, i don't know about 21 22 fire damage uh at sixth level also to your allies mm-hmm. yeah uh, once per long rest. At 14, when you cast a fire spell, you regain some hit points, which actually I think is a nice ability. Yeah. The slot level plus your charisma modifier. That's a decent amount of healing. Not temp HP. Right. Yeah. No, that's great. Mm-hmm. I mean, it that's on par with the 14th level ability. Yeah. Gives you some more... Uh, gives you some more survivability without actually requiring any more of your actions. Mm-hmm. And then at 18th level... This feature does absolutely nothing except when your mantle of flame is on. Yeah, so one minute per day, you have a flying speed of 40 feet, and you can hover. You have resistance to all damage, and when you use your phoenix spark, that is the the kaboom upon dying, uh, that feature deals an extra 20 fire damage to each creature. To each creature. So at this level, we're looking at... Let's do the math. At at 18th level, that's uh, 36 plus 10 plus 20 so 66 damage to every creature within 10 feet of you right now never mind that you can't really decide when this triggers because your mental flame has to be on and you have to be reduced to zero hit points has to be in that fight (laughs) yeah and you're wiping your party i i know and what sucks about this is i know that it's built around the idea that like you go into you wade into like a, a group of enemies you drop a huge fire spell on yourself. like a, You drop a fireball, kill yourself, double the explosion right with your, with your uh, phoenix spark, and then you rise from the ashes. That's all of your class features to set up that one turn of events that like could maybe happen once in a campaign. And has a good chance of murdering your party. Yeah, and it's only going to cost you your party. Yeah, and here's the main problem with these sort of auto-damage abilities in general, like the Scourge, Asimar, all of them, is that any damage to someone who is currently at zero hit points causes an automatic death saving throw failure. Yep. If you are in melee with your allies and somebody goes down and then you explode, there's an excellent chance you are going to kill, kill them. Yeah, actual death. Yeah, and you don't have control over when that happens. Well, I mean, you could choose not to do it and then just forego your one super yeah. cool ability. Yay, now <laughs> nothing happens. Or you don't turn on your Scourge. Right. Yeah. Whoops. <laughs> so it, it's a, I think this is a super neat idea. I love how it captures the, 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 the theme of the Phoenix. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just not playable yeah. in d and I agree. It, not in a team game. Right. So from there we get the sea sorcerer. Uh, this gets the. Uh, this is obviously water themed, right? So you'll get soul of the sea at first level. Uh, you get to breathe underwater, and you gain a swim speed equal to your walk speed. Either completely useless or super awesome, because remember, having a swim speed means that you ignore all those penalties to underwater combat. Right, which you are already ignoring because you're a spellcaster. <laughs> but whatever. <laughs> you you're using a you know a net. Or <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, of course, the main ability you get at first level is Curse of the Sea, which, uh, I'll just point this out, needs a freaking flowchart to figure out (laughs) how to trigger this freaking thing. Mm -hmm. So, when you hit a creature with a cantrip, 
or when they fail a saving throw against a cantrip. So when you so use a cantrip. When you use an offensive cantrip. Yeah. You can curse them. Until the end of your next turn. Ugh. Or until you curse a different creature. Which, okay, fine. End of your next turn. And then, once per turn, when you cast a spell, you can trigger the curse if the spell deals cold or lightning damage, or if it forces movement. And then doing that uh, adds an effect, which we'll talk about, and then ends the curse. If the spell isn't a cantrip. Because, of course, if you hit them with a cantrip, it then extends the curse. Are you confused? <laughs> this either means you're just spamming cantrips, so it's only really good like at the end of a workday. <laughs> or you're like going back and forth between cantrip and regular spell, and then cantrip and regular spell. Or, or a quicken spell, right? You're yeah. constantly burning your quicken spell to trigger the curse immediately. I guess it works out if you're like carefully shepherding your spell slots as you're going throughout the day. And uh, the sorcerer is already a action economy management class, mm-hmm. but holy crap, this thing is confusing. Yeah. Plus, what do you get from this curse? Well, here's the thing: it's like figuring out which one you want to actually trigger is confusing anyway. Yeah, so, and you can only pick one, even if more than one applies. Right. So cold damage, uh, you can add the effect that the target takes. Uh, a penalty to speed equal to 15 feet until the end of your next turn. Uh, And then this doesn't stack. It replaces any other effect. So, you know, uh, Ray of Frost. Yeah, that's the thing I hate about this particular feature is that a lot of cold spells reduce movement. That's what the cold spells do. Right. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So if your cold spell didn't reduce movement, now it does. Great. If it's lightning damage, the target takes more lightning damage equal to charisma modifier. That's cool. That's what it should do yep and then forced movement if the target is moved by your spell then you can increase the distance of the move by 15 feet which is cool but there aren't a whole lot of things you can do with extra forced movement in fifth edition uh no but think of what you can do with that with eldritch blast yeah because you could trigger it on each hit if you've got (laughs) the pushing repelling blast so i mean it's like cool so you went from like sort of a niche thing to now 25 feet per hit and it extends the curse. So 100 feet. You can push them off the ledge, except that you're underwater. Right. So. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know. You can push them right out of range. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, very low effectiveness for something that requires so much wording. Mm-hmm. All right, at sixth level, you get resistance to fire damage, which is great, except that a lot of other things get resistance to fire damage and it's just not going to stack. So it's wasted if you happen to be a tiefling or the right kind of dragonborn. Yeah. Sorry. But I mean, whatever. You also gain the ability to defend yourself by assuming a watery form. So as a reaction, when you're hit by an attack and take only bludgeoning, piercing, or slashing, you can reduce the damage by your sorcerer level plus your charisma, and then you can move up to 30 feet without provoking attacks of opportunity. So you basically turn into water and reform elsewhere. I think this is a pretty cool ability. And, and it, it's sort of cool in my head as well. No, I think it's an awesome ability. It should just grant immunity to bludgeoning, piercing, and slashing damage till the end of the round. Or till the or end. Or the resistance. Uh, uh, no, no, it should, it should just remove it. Because you're never going to take from a single source that much bludgeoning, piercing, or slashing damage. Except maybe falling. Right? Your sorcerer level plus charisma... You know, I mean, it's just like, why Why have to do more math and and stuff in there? I mean, I'd be fine with resistance, but whatever. Um, I do want to point out, we're seeing a lot of things that are sorcerer level plus whatever. Uh, I think this is them sort of trying to make it harder to dip for these kinds of abilities. Yeah. Which I'm not opposed to. Whatever. If you're doing a six level dip in sorcerer, though, you know, like you <laughs> earned it. <laughs> Right at 14th level, you turn into water some more. On your turn, when you move, you only take half damage from opportunity attacks. You can move through enemy spaces, uh, and you can squeeze through any spaces that are, that are at least three inches in diameter. And actually, you're not squeezing when you do that. But as normal with strange kinds of movement, you can't end your turn in an enemy space, and if you end your turn in a space where you would squeeze, then you're squeezing. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I guess 
I guess resistant to opportunity attacks is the benefit. And then at 18th level, you get the Water Soul ability, which uh, lets you no longer eat, drink, or sleep, uh, ignores critical hits against you, they become normal hits, and you have resistance to bludgeoning, piercing, and slashing damage. This is nice. Yeah, except it greatly invalidates the uh, watery defense that you had at 6th level. That's okay. I hated watery defense. It wasn't good okay. anyway, but yeah, that's that's just an escape ability now. Note that it's resistance to bludgeoning, piercing, and slashing, period. Not from non-magical weapons true which is much nicer than a lot of the other sort of high level abilities that do this kind of thing like the paladin yeah also never being able to be critted that's super nice yeah i think this is just um it's just not very good as a package yeah like i i think it's fine flavor wise actually and and i think it's it kind of a cool take on it i just don't think it's very powerful and i i don't know that i would ever want to play this it is both not powerful enough and it is too complicated. That's a problem. Yeah. I mean, I compare this to Storm Sorcerer and like I would get a lot of the same flavor mm-hmm. and it would be way better. Agreed. So now we have Stone Sorcery. This is, I, I think, going in a direction that I like, though it doesn't really call it out. Um, but I, I take this to be the Dwarf Sorcerer. Yeah, I could see that. I was reading this and going, I just wish this had been the sword mage. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Why is this a sorcerer? That's fair. Uh, yeah, so so the idea behind the st- stone sorcerer is it's very melee focused. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you'll get um, proficiency with shields, simple and martial weapons at first level, and then you gain metal magic, which gives you extra spells on your uh, spell list at uh, level one, two, three, and four. Four. Which are basically paladin spells. Yeah, this, any spell called smite. Yeah, basically. Plus magic weapon, elemental weapon, and compelled duel. Yeah. Also at first level, you get one extra hit point per level. And you'll get a stony skin. So your AC is 13 plus your con modifier if you're not wearing armor. Yeah, and it, it lasts until you end it. Um, or you're incapacitated. Uh, which means you can ignore decks as a stat yeah this is better than a barbarian well not really i mean this is the same as a barbarian with a dex of 16 right yes but anyway that's the first time that we've actually seen this it it throws directly to the dwarf who is almost never going to have high dex yeah and you know should be naked as much as possible right well yeah Yeah. that's what the beard is (laughs) does hair count (laughs) Uh, at 6th level, you get Stone Aegis, which is, uh, as a bonus action, you can grant uh, an Aegis on an allied creature within 60 feet. It gives it a little bit of an aura, and then it protects it from bludgeoning, piercing, or slashing damage. It basically gives it damage reduction of 2 plus your level divided by 4. So much math. I This is dumb. But regardless, it lasts for a minute. It basically reduces any damage they take by an amount. And then uh, when a creature you can see within 30 feet of you hits that target with a melee attack, you can use your reaction to teleport next to it and then make a melee weapon attack against the attacker. So you can basically teleport 60 feet in order to make an opportunity of attack. This is almost exactly the Aegis of Assault from the 4th edition Sword Mage. This is exactly it. It's, I put a shield on you that reduces damage you take, and if someone does hit you, I teleport next to them and hit them. Uh, Did I mention it also gets bonus damage? Yeah. So, uh, 1d10 at level 6, 2d10 at 11, up to 3d10 at level 17. This is a really nice ability. This is super good. The only problem I remember is that then enemies were like, I'll just kill you. Well, yeah. (laughs) But, I mean, that's kind of your deal. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, At level 14, you get Stone's Edge, which when you cast a spell that deals damage, you can choose a creature that you have damaged, and that creature takes extra force damage equal to half of your sorcerer level. Uh, It's, you know, once per casting of the spell. So, basically, at 14th level, you just start dealing an extra 7 force damage on your attack spells. Stone's Edge is a weird name, though. It is. Um, it's weird. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, but again, perfect for a sword mage. You you think of the um, Sword Coast Adventurer's Guide attack spells. Um, 
the like green flame blade and those sorts of things, it applies to all those as well. At 18, your Aegis gets even better because you can shield up to three creatures at the same time. Which means you can trigger your uh, opportunity attack that much more often. Yeah, I think it'll be every round. Probably. Yeah, the way sword mages play and the way that this plays is basically you shield allies and then run away. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. Then they attack one of them. You teleport back in. Exactly. Next round, shield, run away. Like, I foresee a lot of use of, like, Misty Step. Yeah. (laughs) And an attack cantrip on your turn. So, yeah, so I like that one. I think it's good. Like I said, if this is part of a trend of of making a sorcerer that sort of like harmonizes with a race I think this is really cool because to me this just screams dwarf I mean if we're going to go with a charisma sword mage sure why not yeah I always wanted my sword mages to be able to actually deal with like politics and and talk well (laughs) rather than always be in the library (laughs) for uh, lying you like sword mage liars yeah, yeah, why not? I will definitely protect you. <laughs> <laughs> so I think the verdict here of the four, we like one, and we're not so keen on any of the others. Yeah, I think there's some interesting ideas mechanically with some of them. And of course, like we love the concept of the Phoenix. But holy crap, that's a TPK. Yeah, and I love the concept of the Favorite Soul, but not this version of it. Yeah. All right, so Shane, where are we in the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign? Are we done yet? Uh, yeah, with the <laughs> prologue today. So this is our uh, Rogue Trader game. We are currently in the prologue of it. Um, it. We played using Dark Heresy 2nd Edition by Fantasy Flight Games. If you found us looking for Eberron, we recapped that in episodes 0 through 73. So go have a listen. So you have been part of an Inquisitor's warband investigating the uh, idyllic planet of Nova Bella, a low-tech agri-world that uh, you suspected of heresy that is quite behind on its tithe to the Imperium of Man. Which is basically heresy in and of itself. So I don't know why we haven't already destroyed this planet. Well, so you kind of have because <laughs> oh, yeah. you landed and promptly murdered a viceroy. Uh, you then interrogated the planetary governor, investigated the priests of the Ministorum, and then started snooping around the agri-harvest sodality, which is sort of the main agricultural collective on the planet that produces the tithe. Uh, and then uh, inside the main depot of the agri-harvest sodality, you found a rotting grain silo that stank of the warp and led you to suspect the chaos god Nurgle was involved. So we burned it all. It's about time we got to do something. Yep, you burned it. Well, hang on. This is the second thing you've burned, if you include the uh, the Bo- whole body of the viceroy, yeah, the smoking <laughs> hole you left in the viceroy's head. <laughs> uh, yeah. So you know, having burned it down, you then move to confront the leader of the Agar Harvest Sodality, the overseer Evane Drakenstein, and uh, you were promptly attacked by her men, who did not take too kindly to you uh, raising their their demon grain, Their really? Their depot to the ground. <laughs> well, guess what? This proves that they're heretics. Let's do this. This is what we do. We're murder hobos. I, I think you guys still weren't totally convinced because you didn't know who caused it. No, oh, I was convinced. But uh, yeah, I mean, you guys were jumping at shadows the entire time anyway. So at this point, it was like, yeah, you guys, you pick something. Yeah. That's going to be the bad guy. Friends Job was not the brightest man anyway. <laughs> So you basically fight your way into the the main office building of the Agri-Harvest Sodality, which is like a miniature dungeon. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you fight your way to her office where you find her and a pair of bodyguards. And she you basically confront her, to which she ignites her power sword oh, and says... Yes, that means I'm going to get a power sword. Let's do this. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, you, you basically fight off her bodyguards and her. How did that end for you? Really well. Uh, is that what we're calling it? Mm, maybe not. We were able to handle the overseer along with her impressive gear and her bodyguards because this entire party was specced for combat. 
very yes. specifically. Very poorly designed for investigating. Yes. <laughs> but then we ran into uh, mm, an interesting part of the rules. A quirk, if you will. <laughs> which we have dubbed the grenade cascade. Yeah. So when you're using las weapons, you know, energy weapons. Or explosive weapons, yeah. Right. Sometimes a person will die and then they will catch fire or they will explode. And if that person has other explosives on them, those will explode Mm -hmm. in a large radius. Mm -hmm. Sometimes killing other people who are also wearing explosives. Exactly. And when the standard kit is two grenades per person... Well, hang on, hang on, hang on. When your standard kit, (laughs) that is not for all characters, that is for your characters. we're we're inquisitors, we gotta have grenades. When one grenade explodes, sometimes 15 grenades explode. Particularly when you're at low health, sort of towards the end of the fight, yeah. Uh, And so, that happened. The overseer and her bodyguards died, and died in a gory heap mm-hmm. but then the rest of us all started catching fire or exploding and well if it weren't for the fact that we have fate points because we're pcs half the party would have been just dead yeah so literally three of the six party members are headed to the hospital <laughs> mm-hmm. for a, a relatively long recovery period yes quite heavily burned maimed missing hands probably yeah you know. they definitely need some some augmentics right so you send half of the party up to the rogue trader ship that delivered you to his enduring light and uh seat them in their well-stocked infirmary mm-hmm. and the rest of us search around because we came this far and what did you find in her desk We found uh, vials of liquid containing synthesized rot, along with plans detailing how they were going to taint the beer supply of the entire upcoming Harvest Festival, which is just a few days off. Yes, you'll recall when you confronted the planetary governor, he promised to restore the tithe, but insisted that you not screw anything up until the Harvest Festival, because otherwise there would be severe unrest at the austere conditions that were sure to face the planet. Right, the one day off that the people on this planet get per year. Right, if you take that away from them, they will riot. (laughs) Uh, And so it turns out that they had planned to poison everyone there. Uh, Did you guys taste the rot? Did you test the effects? No, because that's heresy. (laughs) Yeah. We're not you, drinking the warp wheat. You almost almost certainly would have turned into Nurgle demons. <laughs> <laughs> Which is what we just automatically assumed, right? Right. Yes. And that was basically the end of the one shot. During the epilogue, unfortunately, we left our two assassins unsupervised. Yes. Yeah, because so, they had made it out. Right, right. So we basically just narrated how the the rest of the prologue finished up because you'd, you'd killed the big bad so it was just a matter of kind of finishing things up and restoring things to order mm-hmm. um, but yes of course if you leave that in the hands of the players the two assassins decided that being uninjured and unsupervised they would set up rival assassin cults Ugh, murder hobos <laughs> see this is why you'd rather just have them kill people and take their stuff rather than actually get it into their heads to have characterization <laughs> uh, sure but you know it's a one shot <laughs> Shane, was it? Oh, no, because this is when I revealed. Actually, this is uh, just before I revealed that we would now be playing our Rogue Trader game. Uh, so this had this prologue had been me allegedly playtesting for a con game that I was running. Uh, you guys stretched out past the point that it was useful as a playtest. And about three minutes in, you realized, yep, this is not going to work. Nope, that's uh, not how it's going to work. <laughs> Uh, but we had already scheduled to begin our Rogue Trader campaign in earnest after this game. So you guys thought you were off the hook. You know, one shot. Wipe your hands clean and move on. Yep. And I guess we'll find out exactly how screwed we really were next week. Okay, so our main topic this week is player absences. Because this is a pretty common question we get. You know, we we have a large group. We have sometimes up to seven players. Mm-hmm. So... uh we almost always have players who aren't present in a given session. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people ask, how do you deal with absentee players? Or how should my group deal with absentee players? You steal their stuff. (laughs) Right. (laughs) 
So yeah, so like in a long-term campaign, right, players are going to miss sessions. So what do you do? What happens to their characters? Who controls them? Mm -hmm. Do they gain XP? Can you use an absent character's abilities while the player is gone? And like, what if it's utility stuff like resurrection? Do we still have access to it? Right. What if one person knows the governor and that's why we're getting like free transportation across the city to go places like do we still get that right right or you know worst case what happens if there's a tpk that or or a character's death who would have been easily preventable if that character had been present what do you do afterwards yeah if everyone dies uh if you missed out because you had to stay late at work like are you dead too right right and this comes up a lot in games like D&D but you know any sort of RPG where the responsibilities are divvied up among different party members right there's a healer usually you know there's the one person who has focused on teleportation spells because specifically the other wizard didn't because you didn't want to like have too many people doing that yeah you've got specialization yeah you don't want to step on each other's toes but if the rogue isn't here today what do you do yeah I think that problem is actually most prevalent in smaller groups where you're going to have necessarily less overlap because there's fewer characters to occupy those roles Mm -hmm. in a large group like ours we're not really missing a whole lot if one player or two players aren't present because we've got good overlap of our skills so let's kind of go through these questions and just sort of talk about what are some ways to do it and then how we'd recommend it so first off who controls the characters of an absent player so i think you can have other players controlling that character Mm -hmm. so just Maybe that player nominates an, another player and say, hey, here's my sheet. Run my character for that game. I think this is something that happens a lot when someone needs to leave early. Like, yeah. Oh, man, I need to like go get the train or I have to get up early in the morning. Uh, my sheet's already out. I'm already in the middle of this session. Like Things are happening. We're in the middle of a combat. Here's my sheet. Just just use cantrips or like swing the sword. Here's yeah, what it does. Exactly. Yeah. You know? Yep. But like to do that when the person hasn't shown up at all uh, is I think I think it can usually be very distracting or it's very difficult for a person to run two full characters at the same time so the other thing we can do is have the GM run the character just basically becomes an NPC Mm -hmm. yeah the GM just controls them right Uh, or you can have no one just the PC is absent from scenes in that session Right, they're around in the story, but they just don't really do anything. This happens a lot in like ensemble TV shows or cartoons. Uh, yeah, I mean, you could have them just kind of fade into the background and they're just following along but not participating. You could have the party actually split and so they're off doing something else, mm-hmm. you know, like the, the rear guard. Um, or <laughs> heavy-handedly, I've, I've heard where players say, oh, a wizard shrinks those characters. <laughs> And they ride around in our bag. So they're <laughs> present for everything, but they can't do anything. Like, all right, cool. <laughs> all right. This works really well if, like, there was just a big battle. Um, and so, like, oh, they're healing. Right, yeah. You know, and yeah. we'll, like, go do stuff without you, and I'm sure you'll catch up very right. soon. Right. So the TPT recommendation is to go for that latter option. Just treat the PC as being absent in almost all scenarios. And by absent, we mean like just not participating. It could be like, oh, there's a big battle. So they're fighting on the other side where like the camera doesn't really see them. Right. Or they're uh, they're guarding our rear mm-hmm. in this dungeon. We're going to push on without them. Right. We don't get attacked from the back. Great. Right. Done. Yep. Um, yeah. So just like come up with an appropriate in-game explanation for why they're there. Or, I mean, sometimes people just literally hand wave like a wizard did it. Right. You can hand wave it. But um, we also... In higher level games, you know, we like where uh, this character is teleported off to chase down some personal agenda or some secondary thing that we need to worry about, but mm-hmm. we're not going to focus on uh, maybe a personal subplot. I see this happen a lot in um, the Young Justice TV show. It's an ensemble cast. And sometimes, like, you can't focus on all, whatever, seven, eight characters. So, like, Robin, the boy wonder isn't in this episode well where is he and it's just one throwaway line oh he's in gotham with batman yeah doing batman things (laughs) doing batman stuff with his friends yep yeah i I mean i think the only thing you can run into problems here story-wise is just how do they come back at the right time you know it's like they they can only be doing so much that they can easily return right when they're present again it usually works fine when you're in like a city setting but like if you're in the third level of a dungeon yeah yeah it's kind of hard for them to wander away right so sometimes it's a little better to just kind of wave it yeah 
You didn't do much last time, huh? You weren't that effective. Yeah. And then, you know, the GM always has discretion if you need a PC to be involved for some reason. Um, but, you know, I think for us personally, we almost never structure sessions that way if we can avoid it. Mm-hmm. In the Morning Glory campaign, I remember that the final battle with Raltul Kesh, like right as the Day of Morning was happening, when you guys like transformed into big creatures and then like fought his actual like 200 foot body, uh, Calic, like Jim was not there that day. He got stuck at work. Yeah. And like I had planned this thing, like this is sort of like a big climax for his story. Mm-hmm. But the story still went ahead, you know, and he got filled in on what happened. But I mean, for you as the GM, right, that puts a burden on you because you had to design the encounter around his absence. You know, if you had built it based on, okay, they have a paladin for X, Y, and Z, and now they don't have a paladin for X, Y, and Z, you've got to adjust. And sometimes that means doing it on the fly. So I didn't make the combat any less difficult because you guys were down a man. Well, I mean, sometimes that's appropriate. We we certainly seem to be running into that with Dark Sun. Oh, man. <laughs> Every time somebody's missing, there's a near TPK. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Malachi, my character, actually died. Mm-hmm. Actually died. Yep. Yep. Good thing we got some gm fiat resurrection magic i i mean i'll be interested to find out after this is all over if it was fiat because he has been foreshadowing this crazy cleric lady for yeah. several sessions now yeah but i mean who knows how early he wanted to introduce it right no idea i guess we'll see mm-hmm. so another question that comes up as we mentioned do absent pcs advance do they gain xp do they get their share of loot and rewards you know do they do we pretend they were there or not? In the old days, no, you didn't. Nope. Mm-mm. You had rules for balancing encounters with different level PCs. Right. Deal with it. Starting in 4th edition, the recommendation by the designers was just like give everyone the same XP. Just keep them the same, basically. Well, right, because we stopped spending XP on things and you stopped leveling at different rates. Right. right? Even in 3rd edition, wizards could be much lower level than other characters because they spent XP on magic items. I mean, if you were smart. Well, they should be, yeah. (laughs) So because of that, like you'd have different XP totals and it mattered. In 4th edition, we stopped. So our recommendation, just keep everyone the same level. Mm -hmm. It's much, much, much easier. If for no reason than the bookkeeping. Yeah. And also like the punishment for not making to a session is not being able to play in a session. Right. Yeah, I mean, if, if... you have players that aren't showing up because they want to collect the rewards of being there without having participated like get rid of the player the player doesn't want to play in the game you know like that they're voting with their feet yeah it's maybe more of an issue um i guess when you're still in school it's probably not work that's keeping you away from the the session like it's something you decided to do yeah you know but like once you're older it's sort of like dude no i'm like i'm stuck yeah in traffic (laughs) or like i don't want to get fired and like i wish i was there my boss doesn't care about game night (laughs) right i didn't i don't bring it up yeah they told me harry potter was evil so i figured "Eh." all right so what about using an absent pc's abilities I mean, obviously, this is going to be dependent on how you're going to treat the PCs, right? If somebody's running that PC, they can use their abilities. But assuming that you've taken our recommendation and that you aren't having them present and you've faded them out of the scene, uh, how do you feel about using their abilities? Well, I think what we both do is generally, no, you can't use them. You know, like that person can't roll skill checks, even if they happen to be the party face. Like you just sort of default to the next best person at that thing. Mm Mm-hmm. There are some exceptions, though, if you have someone where, like, they're the only person who can do that, and that's kind of purposeful in terms of the way that we built the group. Yeah. You know? So, like, if there is only one person who can raise dead, like, there's no reason not to in the downtime after the session to be like, well, they raised dead. Right, right. But perhaps, you know, using Revivify in the midst of combat, right? You might want to soften the rules on revivify so that you could not lose your pc but also knowing that technically that minute would pass right or basically saying something like okay you can't revivify in the middle of combat but as soon as combat is over so and so comes over and uses revivify within the one minute window yeah exactly although you better finish this combat before 10 rounds is up yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean i think you just want to like balance 
plausibility and suspension of disbelief with what's best for the story, right? Yeah. What doesn't feel like it's punishing the players in the party? So, like, if there's only one rogue and the the rogue is the only one who can pick locks, if you come to a, a door where there's no other way to get through except picking a lock, which is bad design anyway, then, yeah, maybe the rogue can just pick a lock. Mm-hmm. But if there's a hallway and the rogue is the one who would normally be searching for traps, nah. Like, I'm going to make someone else make those perception checks or, like, poke squares with a 10-foot pole. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> I, could, I could see that one going both ways. Because, like, you can get through it. You're the fighter. Like, get hit with the trap. Yeah. Uh, no, that's fair. I, I mean, here's what I would say as a GM, is just acknowledge these things and make sure everyone at the table understands how they're going to be handled mm-hmm. in advance, right? So if you have the the military brute in your party, right, and you could be headed towards combat. Hey, let them know, like, look, you are severely weakened in combat, so you should avoid combat right now until Captain Jones gets back. <laughs> right, or, like, you're going to need to set up an ambush because you have no frontline fighter. Right, right. Or, you know, hey, usually you have cloaks scouting ahead to find your traps. You guys need to be extra careful. I think it is an interesting opportunity for players to sort of unwillingly like stretch the bounds of what their character is comfortable with and then come up with new ideas you know like maybe the wizard summons creatures to walk down that hallway to yeah set off the traps yeah or the the druid uses his like b-shape xp right <laughs> to absorb yeah. traps to trigger them you know <laughs> tie a rope around me right <laughs> i'm gonna walk in as a dire wolf yep <laughs> and when i explode just pull me back <laughs> Yeah, I mean, so so you can get character development out of it just by virtue of absence. Yeah. You may find that the character or the player finds that they actually really enjoy doing that. Mm-hmm. Maybe they end up multiclassing. Maybe they take some sort of proficiency. Right. And, and you also have kind of built into that shared lore of the group of like, hey, you remember that backup plan? Like, we have a procedure for this. Like, yeah. It's goofy. It It's crazy, but it works. Right. Maneuver seven. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> really? Yeah. yeah. It's, hey, listen, it's written right here in the Tactical Morning Glory. <laughs> Silence, then fireball. Right. <laughs> so let's talk about the worst risks, the like TPKs and character death. Oof. Yeah, you can't always plan when there's going to be a TPK or like when your party needs to use a resurrection spell. Yeah, you shouldn't be planning on TPKs and, and character death, yeah. but it happens. Yeah, you can't predict when you're going to roll that crit. Right. Uh, unless you're the GM who's like, oh, look, I critted you. Right. <laughs> <laughs> this combat just turned. <laughs> so again, like, this is something you're probably going to need to handle on a case-by-case basis. Yeah, I think your your general default should be no, uh, because it's hard to make that not feel like a deus ex machina, right? So if you're going to intervene, you need to always keep that in mind, right? Like if you're going to use a deus ex machina, do it, but don't make that the default by any means. Yeah. Like if every time your players say, you know, we're going to play with three, it's fine. Just give us the combat. And then a squad of NPCs swoops in and saves them. If it's too difficult, like there's one less of a reason for other people to show up and it's going to sort of push your party to be more foolhardy than they really should be. Yeah. And also like it, it makes for just a goofy story, mm-hmm. you know, like as, as you think about it, it's like, what are we doing here? Why was that squad not just doing our job in the first place? Why are they paying us to do this? Yeah. We're terrible at it. Yeah, exactly. And then in the next session, you can just sort of lampshade the fact that so-and-so wasn't there, you know? So, wow must be tough for you now that four members of your party died huh yeah like you're the last two survivors and you weren't there for your allies like how do you deal with that you feel guilty about going on that timeout with batman yeah (laughs) (laughs) because you should yeah like how does that change your relationship with the next group of adventurers that you associate with Mm -hmm. you know um, and, and then keep in mind, this can also just be an opportunity to change the direction of the plot entirely. You know, if it's possible that, you know, if it's not a world ending plot that you are chasing, you know, maybe the survivors have guilt and they just go in a different direction now. Yeah. Or maybe they just have completely different goals. Like maybe the people who died were the ones who have the grudge 
against like the evil wizard yeah and you, the survivors were just tagging along like to help but like i don't care if the evil wizard dies right yeah <laughs> <laughs> let's go do something else right let's 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 go knock over another dungeon yeah. <laughs> <laughs> one with a little bit lower cr please <laughs> So I will say that it is not at all our recommendation that a person should lose a character if they are not at the game. Like if you can't make it, the the vast majority of times, like your character doesn't die. I I would say the exception is if if that's the end of the campaign. Yeah. Right. Like if if we've agreed, hey, TPK ends it, and you get a TPK when you're not there. Like tough luck. You're part of the group. The campaign's over. Oh, yeah, if that means that, like, hey, we reset with a different story. Right, And, right. like, that's what the group has agreed upon, yeah. Or, you know, give the option to re-roll, right? You could be the survivor, or you could have died in the in the calamity and just re-roll with everybody else. Yeah, but you're going to start at whatever level the rest of the party starts at. Like, if, if everyone begins again at first level, yeah, you're first level. Yeah, you don't get a bonus for not showing up, dude. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so what about long-term planned absences? You know, someone's going to go on vacation, or I guess we're going to have cam go to boot camp for a few weeks yeah so one thing you can do if if you have a small group and you need that player is just pause the campaign Mm -hmm. you know like hey that the every character is critical we don't want to do it so let's just play a different game for example yeah and this is it's always good to have this backup because what if the absent player is the gm yeah (laughs) you always want to have something else you could be playing instead Right. So, and this is, you know, we talk about the benefits of switching GMs and systems all the time, but, but when you switch GMs or characters, it lets everybody kind of recharge, right? Mm -hmm. You could take a break if you're GMing or you get to scratch that itch if you're not. The nice thing about these planned absences is, you know, typically how long they're going to be. And so you can work them into the storyline ahead of time. Like the character can go do something. Yeah. Yeah. Go find a subplot that's gonna feed back into your main plot later yeah like i need to put in at work for vacation probably months ahead of time i know i'm gonna be gone i'll start laying the groundwork for that disappearance right now yeah yeah so it's not a surprise when the church calls the cleric and says hey we need you for this yeah you can definitely work with the player and players work with your gm you know i'm gonna miss this time that allows your gm to make sure that whatever's happening in the plot isn't critical to your character arc you know like they are very invested in having you be there for that like they made a session for you Mm -hmm. let them know ahead of time and that way they don't make a session for you when you're not going to be there yeah this happened to me uh we talked about it last episode a little bit in a greyhawk game that i was playing the rest of the party had moved on chasing uh this main plot and my character got left behind in the dreadwood and ended up defending the elves of the Dreadwood, the Dreadwalkers, from an attack from a green dragon. And that sort of became this legendary tale that got spread around the region of Thrusk, the one-man army, who, you know, fought off hags uh, and, and a dragon. That actually is pretty epic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it required some very creative uh, use of the palisades. <laughs> you're going to need traps is what you're going to need. You're going to want traps. <laughs> uh, yeah, but so this is a great way to um, add key pieces of information, key details, or like it's great for like a fetch quest, you know? It's mm-hmm. like, okay, it's not fun to actually travel halfway across the map on screen and go get that thing but let's maybe just talk about how that happened um and and anything that adds world building that the player knows that the player has and can share with the rest of the party it is so much better for your job because no one cares about your exposition and it's a really easy opportunity for you as a gm to introduce additional like plot hooks or additional information that maybe the party hasn't stumbled across or you're not really sure how else to introduce it like the player comes back the the character comes back and hey guess what i found out yeah yeah or um you know you get to the end of this piece of it and you don't know who to talk to next and that absent player is like oh wait i know a guy from when i was gone like maybe he knows something let's go talk to him yeah uh guys when i was in the shire uh, bad things are happening. Yeah. <laughs> There's this dude <laughs> called Wormtongue. <laughs> so I think our kind of summary are a couple rules of advice. Don't let absent players mess up the routine of your game. Just play as close to your normal game as you can. Yeah, that's what the player's going to typically want anyway. 
then make sure that the spotlight is on the PCs who are there and not on the PC who isn't, right? So don't highlight that they're missing. Just focus on the people who are there. And lastly, don't punish those absent players. The reward is playing the game, and missing the game is already punishment. Do you hear that, Ishan? I told you I couldn't be here with this, Shane. <laughs> we talked about this months ago. <laughs> All right. Uh, I'm going to roll up a new character in the Character Creation Forge without you. Damn I'll it. just introduce it through a subplot, and uh, when you're back, you can play it. No, wait, I'm back. This is Batman. I'm back. I'm back. Okay. Okay. <laughs> All right, before we get to Batman, let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us. We do love hearing from you. You can tweet at Shane, at Mundangerous, that's M-U-N Dangerous. And you can tweet at Ishan, at Evil Sends Carne, that's Malice Minus Meat. And you can tweet at the show, at TPTCast. You can also email us if you can fit it into 140 characters at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. And you can find us on the web at www.TotalPartyThrillCast.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram, at TotalPartyThrill. Well, just like Batman prefers to do, you have spoiled our topic for the Character Creation Forge today. Well, we did mention it at the top of the episode. Yeah, whatever. Nobody listens to that. And last week. Nobody listens to the intro. Fair. Really, we spend so much time on those excellent jokes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they almost never land. Maybe they land so quietly, like Batman, that you just don't notice. Great. We brought it right back. So tell us about Batman. Who is? What is a Batman? Uh, it is a man with deep psychological scarring. Okay. Uh, who has decided to become the best at everything because apparently he can outsmart Superman and dodge heat vision. Okay. Right. The problem is we're building him in an RPG and so he can't be the best at everything. But we're going to try, right? Yeah. I mean, in 3.5, there was a build called Batman that was a wizard that just had a, basically a belt full, a utility belt full of scrolls. But we don't have item creation rules, and you know wizards aren't the most amazing class anymore like they used to be. I think this is a price worth paying. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think we came up with a pretty good Batman. A, a nice facsimile of Batman, if you will. Great. What is he? Swashbuckler Rogue 9, Shadow Monk 6, Lore Bard 5. Oh yeah, Batman do a lot of tooting his own horn, does he? he I guarantee he plays... At least 40 different musical instruments. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but they're all like cello and violin and like nothing that you'd ever play you know, in a look, bar. I'm pretty sure he has a, a bench of 1,000 pounds. I think there are literally like scans of him bench pressing 1,000 pounds. I think he can handle it carrying around his cello. <laughs> it's basically Robin. Interesting, a thousand pounds. I am, I'm sure there are scans out there. Someone send us scans of Batman bench pressing a thousand pounds. <laughs> oh, God. D- DC humans are not real humans. So ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, he punches holes in concrete pillars. <laughs> I mean, wait, Batman. is that like his one rep max, or was that just like his casual lift that day? I don't know. It's a. It's just a picture. <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't move. It's a comic book. All right, so Batman is basically a ninja and a genius, right? So we got to work all this stuff in. With Rogue, well, with Swashbuckler, you get rakish audacity and fancy footwork, and that combo gives you sneak attack when there's no one else around and lets you hit and run, you know? And dual wield, which is handy. (laughs) Hit him, get out of there. Hit him, hit him, get out of there. Right. Which is what the Batman does. It gives you four expertises, because he is, of course, the world's greatest detective. Yeah, so you'll definitely take investigation, mm-hmm. probably hide or stealth. Uh, we're definitely going to want to take persuasion because at level nine, he gets panache, which is basically an at-will charm. Or, you know, you keep all eyes on you well, for your enemies to sort of distract it for your allies. Mm-hmm. But that's based on a persuasion check. So you want that to be as high as possible. And then I guess depending on your reading of Batman, you might want intimidation. Yeah, you know, I think so, right? I mean, because I've only ever seen Christopher Nolan's Batman. Seriously? No, but I mean... Okay, I mean, the Adam West Batman doesn't get intimidation. Yeah, no. (laughs) And the Michael Keaton one doesn't really either. No, you know who does is George Clooney. Because the the nipple (laughs) armor. (laughs) That will... No one wants to mess with that guy. You also get cunning action, which is why you're so fast. Uncanny dodge, so if you do get hit... You can roll with it. And evasion, 
because you know machine gun fire i think is basically an area attack mm-hmm. so it just misses you because yeah. it always misses you i buy that yeah and explosions perfect so we get monk levels so we'll have some unarmed combat you know your fist will be monk weapons so that'll be d6 damage which is comparable to any dual wield build but they will be magical weapons that's, you got magic fists that's true you'll also have stunning fists so you can spend key points to stun uh slow fall deflect missiles all that stuff you get an additional 15 foot move speed which combined with cunning action makes you ridiculously mobile and fast quite a bit yeah shadow monk also gets a few spells which of course you're gonna flavor as utility belt items you get darkness pass without trace silence like nobody's gonna see this guy nope and uh in case they do see you you just find an area of dim light and teleport to it you know he's not technically teleporting he's just that fast oh that's sneaky you know it's like he just like (laughs) whirls his cape around and then he's gone by the time it resolves yeah it's when he's talking to commissioner gordon and like gordon looks away in a pensive moment and then looks back and he's gone yeah you just hear a (laughs) rustle in the wind how does he do that Uh, teleport yeah (laughs) all right and then you get bard which may not seem like a good fit because batman is not like a happy-go-lucky alan adale but okay, yes. <laughs> but he is a leader of men. Are you talking about Bruce Wayne? Bruce Wayne is a leader of men. No, Batman as well. He's basically I would call him basically the leader of the Justice League. Is this is some revisionist 90s Justice League nonsense. No. No, way, man. I mean, people are like Superman now. Superman's the face and the cape. <laughs> Batman is the leader and the cape. He's the brains. Yeah, oh yeah, well, and the yeah. boss. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, so he's party friendly with Bard. Uh he'll get Two more expertises, jack of all trades, which adds half his proficiency bonus to all skills. And uh, initiative checks. And initiative checks. Loreboard gives you three more skills. Uh, I like to flavor the bardic inspiration as basically him telling one of the robins to move. Yeah, or hit. Yeah. <laughs> Do this, <laughs> not that. Right. <laughs> or, I mean, it's Batman and Robin, so they probably just like, it's a glance. Right. You know, yeah. I have to say anything. Yeah, it's just a knowing, yeah. <laughs> lingering, longing just... look. <laughs> what, am I reading that differently than everyone else? I mean, there there have been Lady Robins. Maybe it's Batgirl. Oh. There's definitely been stuff that's happened there. Could be Batgirl. Yeah. And that's not creepy at all. Uh, you'll also get cutting words which again perfect for your christopher nolan batman yeah and great as you know bruce wayne i guess yeah uh and then you get bardic spells which you'll just reflavor all of those as gadgets on your utility belt because you've got one of everything or you know being superhumanly strong yeah or something yeah and of course you are human so you get a feat because variant human is really the only way to go ever Uh Uh-huh, and are we going to spend that feat to make a pun? Yes, of course we are. (laughs) Great. What feat is that going to be? We're going to take Magic Initiate. And for the first level spell, we're going to take Find Familiar so that our familiar can be a Robin. Great. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It is handy because uh, if you reflavor an owl familiar as a Robin, Mm. you get flyby attack. Uh, which you could uh, means you won't provoke opportunity attacks. So you can take the help action to grant you advantage on your attacks and then get out of harm's way. Yeah, or you could take a toad and call it Jason Toad. And then, well, it's really good at being beaten with a wrench. Uh, this must be a reference I don't understand. Get over your head. I'm Perfect. not going to ask. That's good, and we won't explain it. All right, so uh, in D&D terms, what is your Batman? Who is your Batman? You know, in an alley in Waterdeep, one day. Oh, God. Right, fast forward through that part. <laughs> or, okay, fine. Mine climbs out of a, a hole-in-the-ground prison. Oh, that, I like that. That's good, too. Yeah, was, That's he, good too. was he child of a great criminal mastermind, blah, 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 blah. Okay, moving on. <laughs> That's Bane slash the Talia. Daughter. Yeah, that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, But whatever. There's There's a Talia. Yeah, you get the same build. Exact same skill no, set. You're right. I agree. <laughs> I agree. We could go with Nightwing, right? This is not the Batman. This is a Batman. The one who was trained by Batman. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. All right. Decided that he didn't want to become Batman, but basically does the same stuff. Okay. Except he uses a scream of sticks, which would do about a D6 damage. They're definitely monk weapons. (laughs) Great. All right. I'm going to stop talking about it. 
We are definitely working our way through the Justice League, though. Little by little, we're going to get there. I know. Uh, I will, much to my chagrin, it's just, it's happening. Yep. We already did Guardians of the Galaxy. I know. I know. All right. So uh, if you want to support the show, in spite of this clearly phoning it in, the easiest way to do that is to leave us a five-star review on iTunes. And if you're willing to help us out, we'll read your five-star review on the air. You can also find us on Stitcher. It's like a Pandora for podcasts. If you like or favorite us there, the algorithm will help other people find us. So what do we have planned for next week's episode? In response to a listener request on Instagram, we'll be talking about arena battles. (laughs) We have listeners on Instagram? Yes, we do. Oh, man. Awesome. I'm glad you're managing that without me. (laughs) I'm glad you're mostly handling Facebook. All right. Uh, what are we doing in the character creation forge? We're building the heathen champion. That sounds like a proper D&D build. That's right. Well, that's it for episode 82 of Total Party Thrill. I hope we've lived up to our name, but either way, I'm Shane. And I'm Ishan. Thanks for listening. Oh, sh- We're at 37 minutes. Jesus, seriously? Yeah. Holy f- balls. Fun. How long do we spend on Sorcerer? A long time. Four archetypes. Yeah. Well, this one's short, yeah? Yeah, we, we should be good.